We are finishing up a message series that we have entitled Start Here. It's based on the closing parts of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7. We've been looking at how chapter 7 ends that sermon and how it is that it provides for us some wisdom on how we can walk with the Lord and how we can have a sustainable life in the Lord in a very crazy tumultuous world that we live in. And there were some critical things that I needed to say last week for this series to kind of work. It's sort of the pivoting aspect of it. But if you were like probably everybody else uh, in town and, 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 and around, uh, you're probably uh, snowed in. And we had 12 people show up for traditions and maybe about 15 for this one. Uh, which wasn't, you know, great, but I was at Old North Church for a conference, and they said they only had 11, so I felt pretty good about that. Uh, but not everybody could make it understandably, and so as a result of that, we do have posts on YouTube last week's message if, uh, if you want to kind of follow the, the tracking of this series. Uh, hopefully you'll find it helpful. I am going to summarize a couple of things that were mentioned in that message so that it kind of launches into what we're going to look at today. And it has a lot to do with uh, childbirth. And if uh, you guys know Ari Salamanca, he's getting ready to be a father, uh, he and Shirley. Rich and Adrian are getting ready to be parents as well. Um, a prayer concern uh, for uh, some people that many of you know, um, Ashley Malone and um, her husband Steve. They have some complications happening with her pregnancy and they need our prayers right now. Uh, and I was just talking to Ari who I guess is more expert in childbirth than I realize. Uh, he's our Hispanic pastor and he's witnessed almost a hundred births of, of, of children that uh, they needed a translator for with um, Hispanic women who were doing it in an American hospital. And So I said, well, how, how did that work out? And he said, I, I've learned a lot of a lot of language. Like he said the other day, we had sort of a false alarm with uh, Shirley. I said, well, how do you know it was a false alarm? Well, she was only dilated two centimeters and she really needs to be like, I don't know, five or eight or something. And uh, I'm like, wow. And I said, um, you really know the language, don't you? And I said, do they call you Dr. Airy when you show up? And he, um, he kind of laughed. But uh, he said that as a result of everything that he's gone through, at least five people have named their children Eric. So it must have paid off in some way. He'll be anxious to see how it is when it's his own child. But when you have kids, the thing that I've tried to underscore is something that I became aware of as a pastor. And that is there are people who come into a church like this and they're looking for uh, needs to be met and personal struggles to be resolved and relationship issues uh, to somehow be ironed out. And occasionally I'll run into a person who had what is called detachment disorder, where they were adopted or they went through circumstances with their mom where their mom, after they had them, wasn't able to nurse them and, and, and hold them and to keep them close and to give them that sense of bonding. And what psychologists have discovered is that when that critical moment does not happen, it changes the whole outcome of the life of that child. 
They end up not being able to attach to other people because they didn't have that primary attachment to begin with. And so they don't really understand in a deeply personal way how it is that the attachment process works so that other relationships can be healthy as well. And I know it grieves God's heart whenever he sees young people who through no fault of their own are dealing with some psychological issues along those lines. But I also know that God has given us a means by which we can experience another form of attachment with him as our Heavenly Father. And the church is in a lot of ways the midwife for that process to occur if we can do it uh, hopefully faithfully and helpfully. And as uh, God uses us in that way, he gives us instruction on how it is that we can connect people to God in a way that there is a, a bond that sustains the relationship for the duration of that person's life. And a bond that hopefully sustains the relationship that you have with each other as you are connected to him. And in the message on last Sunday... It is a description of people who said, we're doing all of these wonderful works for you, Lord. And Jesus said to them, I never knew you. And it's an odd statement. And the only sense I can make out of it is that there are people who perhaps came to church. They do good works. They do things in the name of the Lord. But they've never learned to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And they've never went through each day of their life connecting with him in prayer, asking him for wisdom and guidance on the road, just taking everything that's going on in their lives and saying, Lord, can you help me with this? And that really is the bond-making process that is so critical for us. And my fear as a pastor is that anyone who is under my care as a shepherd doesn't discover that that experience is so vital for you staying strong. That daily being aware that Jesus is with you no matter what you're going through. Because it truly is the foundation for everything that will come. And that's why Jesus closes this passage out with uh, a statement about how we build what we build into our lives. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 and following. And in it uh, we read these words. Let's go ahead and put them up there. Jesus concludes the sermon by saying, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching as one who really knew what he was talking about at the deepest level of our being. He's taught with authority, not as people who are just good at saying good things that need to be said without any connection to their life experience. And when Jesus ends the sermon, I know he has in mind all the people that are in front of him. And the significance of what the sermon really means to them and to people who will come afterwards. In Jesus' mind, there is a, there's a pattern that he's 
imitating that goes all the way back into their tradition to the, 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 the story that meant so much to them as a people, the, the story that, I, that, that shaped their identity, the story of coming up out of Egypt as God delivered God's people from Pharaoh and his, and his armies and took them through the Red Sea and then stationed them at a place where they were beginning to learn what it meant to have a relationship with him. In that process, a critical moment occurred when God gave the law to the people and said, this is how you're supposed to live. I want to show a couple of pictures of how these events transpired. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, which occurred at a mount, something like that, where Jesus is up near the top and everybody's sort of collected at the bottom and sort of or near, near in, at a lower elevation. And they're hearing the teachings and they're hanging on every word because of who he was and how up to that point he had become real to them in very deeply personal ways through healing and through coming alongside, showing compassion, and being the face of God in a way that they had never seen God. And they wanted more. They were hungry for it. They wanted to be delivered from the things that had kept them from God and brought into a personal relationship with Him. And that's what Jesus came to do, is to take everything that God represented and embody that in the form of a man and then teach accordingly. Now, there's a more, couple more pictures I want to show you. When the Israelites came up out of Egypt, they were called to the wilderness, if you've ever heard the story. And that literally is the wilderness that they were called to. It is a place where, honestly, none of us would want to go. If you were to say, what is my next vacation destination going to be? That would be at the bottom of the list. Because in the wilderness, there's no water. There is no food. There is really the presence of no other people. It is a place that is unsustainable and not practical at all as far as taking one and a half million people and saying, we're going to hang out here for a while. Matter of fact, we're going to hang out here for about 40 years. But how do you take that many people and hang out in that place for 40 years and it begin to work? The truth is, you can't without God being your sole provider that intimate connection with him that gives you the water and the food and the wisdom for the life that they have to live. And a lot of these people who are in that setting had a hard time wrapping their mind around the fact that this isn't exactly what we had wanted and yet God said this is what's essential because you have to unlearn all the stuff you've learned in Egypt like child sacrifice and all these weird cultic rituals and you've got to relearn what it means to love your neighbors yourself and love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. All that said, what God wanted to do was give a teaching so that they could begin to think about their life in relation to him. And Moses, let me show, show me the next picture if you can. Um, Moses, uh, uh, actually, there's a, there's a picture of a map, if, uh, if you can find it up there in that mix. Um, if you can't, that's okay. What Moses wanted to do was create a foundation that was centered on the teachings that God had revealed to him. So that based on those teachings, they would be a different kind of people. A blessed people, a people who would discover that if they followed God and they followed his ways, they would, they would thrive. They would be healthy. They would learn to relate to each other in a way that they had never done before. So many things would come out of following that teaching. 
the foundation established, the life that would begin in a fresh way. That's a picture of how it all happened. In the middle of uh, the picture is, uh, is, is, a, is a point that represents where Moses gave this law from the mountain. And it was defining. If you even talk to Jewish people today, they'll tell you it's the law, the Old Testament law, that shapes our identity based on the exodus from Egypt. I mean, it's stuck. It's sustainable for them even to this day. But my concern isn't so much about them, but you guys. How is it that that story has an effect on what's going to happen the rest of the week for you? Well, Jesus understood that very clearly, and he wanted to take it a little bit further and say, what Moses taught, I'm embodying. You will see me not only give you teaching, but you will also see me live it in such a way that is totally consistent with everything that God wants you to see as you see me teach and do. And it was a pretty special way of just taking what Moses couldn't accomplish and beginning on that mound, giving the law in a new way, centered on Jesus and people connecting not with tablets of stone, but with a Savior who is in the shape of one of us who has experienced what we've experienced, who, as we will discover, went through some of the deepest and most difficult, painful moments that you can ever imagine. Who even as he lived out his life and he cared for so many people, found himself betrayed and unjustly arrested and tried and beaten as an innocent person through no fault of his own, and then being abandoned by everyone that originally looked at that sermon through the eyes of believers seeing their teacher on the mound, giving them vital information that had weight and authority, and they were gone. And Jesus knew that it was going to be painful to do what needed to be done. And that was to help you be birthed into a new identity in Him. Why was that so important? Because the storm is coming. And when it comes, will you be able to, to weather everything that it brings into your world? Now, if you're a little kid, what's the storm that a little kid goes through? I think the first storm that I had as a little kid was walking in the con on the concrete barefooted, stubbing my toe, pulling it up, and looking at all the blood gushing out of it and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. It was the most epic crisis, proportion of, uh, crisis of epic proportions you could imagine. And so what was my response? I yelled for my mom. I'm about three years old and she so far had taken care of me. She protected me. She provided me a safe place. She was my security. I had bonded with her. She wasn't going to let me... Uh, let, let me suffer or let me, you know, be thrown to the wolves even though it was a stub toe. Well, fast forward to junior high. And then all of a sudden, some of your friends are not hanging out with you like you liked and it's the end of the world. And then you get to high school and a girl dumps you and you're like, oh my goodness, I think I'm just going to take my life. And then you 
can't get into the school that you want to get into or the job opportunity doesn't open up and you're like, oh man, life has just ended for me. And it seems like as you go through life, the storms keep hitting. But the thing is, as we go through life, a stubbed toe doesn't mean so much. Rejection isn't really that big of a deal anymore. Missed opportunities, they happen a lot. You kind of... Calibrate yourself to be able to handle it and it's not the end of the world. But the bad news is as we go through life, the storms sometimes change in their complexity. And maybe you're at that place in life where the storms are so heavy, you're not even sure what to do. And as we have children or we have people in our lives that mean so much to us and they're hurting and things are out of our control, we know that's a storm and we're thinking, what do I do? Where's my safe place? Who's going to catch me when I fall? How can I find, oh, Jesus? Because when Jesus ended this sermon, he said, the storms are going to come. And it's going to be painful. And I want you to know that right out of the gate. I wish whenever I baptize somebody, I could just tell them, oh, it's all going to be good from here. It's going to be perfect. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. Wouldn't that be awesome? But the only place I read that is at the end of the Bible, not in the middle of the story. Rather, it is be ready. Because it could, get, it could get painful. But don't lose heart if it does. Because God's at work in the painful moments. Don't run away from them. The storms will strike you. And when they do, the main thing is that you're prepared. And so the first thing that you have to have in place is, are you connected to me? Is there a bond there where you feel safe with me in the storm? That I'm the one that you could go to when the storm happens. And if it is, then the next thing you need to do are two things. And what two things did he say when he opened up this part of the message in in verse 24? He said, the people that weather the storm, the people that make it, do two things. Those who hear these words of mine and those who do what? Those who do these words of mine. That's the difference. That's the only difference. The people that survive the storm are the ones who take seriously the words of Jesus to such a degree that when the storms come, he's their go-to. But not only that, they try to live it out in a way that when people see them going through the storm... It clearly has the imprint that Jesus is there helping them along the way. And there are reasons for that. As Jesus allows us to learn and grow like a parent allows their child to go through difficult times and helps them along. You know, I think about my mom in in that nurturing way, but I also think about her whenever I was probably just uh, maybe in, I just freshman in high school. I was out riding my, my motorcycle near the railroad tracks where I shouldn't have been riding it to begin with. And for whatever reason, uh, a railroad tie got in my way and I crashed the bike and I hurt my ankle. Thinking that I probably broke it, uh, my mom was working. I went home, I called her, I said, Mom, I think I hurt my ankle. So she asked me a couple of questions. Is it swollen? Not really. Can you move it? Yeah. Is there any blood? No. 
I think I broke it. I think I, think I need to go to the hospital. You know what her nurturing words were? Safe place that she was? Well, then you need to suck it up. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what you're supposed to say. But I think the reason why she said it was, you're mature enough now that you don't need me in the way that you used to need me. You need me in a way that says, you got to toughen up and I've got to let you go through some toughening up experiences. But keep in mind, I'm not far away. I'll always be there. And she always has been. And I think that pattern of how a mother or even a father responds to a child as they develop and they mature in different ways is just the pattern that God is wired into everything to say, this is life and this is actually life with me. But it won't work if you don't hear my words and you don't start living out the way of life that I've called you to live. Now, I don't know what you're thinking right now. But my guess is, just looking out and knowing some of you, I know some of the storms that are going on. And I know that you have questions in your mind about how God is part of that. And my hope is that as you look at the storm and you say, where is God in that? That you're drawing close to Him. And believe it or not, when you do, He will, in His own way, 10 times out of 10, He will lead you through it. But it's in a manner that's appropriate to the processes that you need to you need to grow into as you go through it. But if you're like me, you're just pain avoidant. I mean, I don't really care for pain. I got to be honest with you. Not a fan of pain. You know, the old saying, no pain, no gain. I'm like, no, there's a better way. And I'm looking for that better way. And sometimes I find it, but a lot of times I discover that the only way is the way of pain. And sometimes it's easy to kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we can short circuit the storms. We can find a way around. We can find a way to become whatever we need to become in the storm in order for it to just leave us alone. But that's really about our identity. It reminds me of a story, it's kind of funny, um, of... Of a, uh, of a fellow who was on an airplane and he took a seat next to a very beautiful woman. And after some small talk, he asked her, what do you look for in a man? And a little bit surprised, however, she responded, I like someone who can think on his feet and be swift like an American Indian. And then she thought for a second, and then I appreciate a man who who's made a lot of money. And I know some Jewish men who've done exactly that, that have become great businessmen. But then she continued to ponder and she said, however, I'd also like to have this man be a fan of, of, of cowboys and pickup trucks and gun racks in the back. And this guy is just processing this and as he is she asked him by the way what's your name and he responded by saying my name is Geronimo Goldstein however my friends call me Bubba and you know you can try to pull that off 
But as awkward and mashed up as all of those words are, you're only fooling yourself. And as we think about the storms of life, we can't go around them. We have to go through them. And I wish I could say that as a believer that you're not going to have them. But trust me, you will. But I can tell you this. If you are bonded with the Lord, if you have that connection, isn't it amazing how strong we are when we know that there's at least one person in our world that's our biggest fan, that is our safe place, that is our security, our cheerleader, our fan club, the one person or two persons or a group of people in our world that we could say, no matter what life throws at me, I know those people, they got my back. I know that my mom or my dad has my back. And I know that whenever the storm comes, I'm not facing it alone. Now here's the thing for you and I that I think Jesus wanted us to take away. Because not only did he want us to live out the life that we were called to live in a way that was centered on a relationship with him. And to keep that relationship healthy. He also wanted to keep hearing his word and doing his word. Because I have to tell you, several of the storms I've been through in life would have been much more difficult had I not had a friend who had a timely in a timely manner, came up to me and said, I hear you're going through this. And I've said, yeah. And they're like, guess what? I've, I've faced that storm before too. And I made it to the other side. And you can too. Now the cool thing is, I, I've been able to rub shoulders with a, a lot of you in your storms. And I've had you say, it looks like the end. And get into a state where it just appears that this is the one that God probably can't help you through. Only to see you go through it as you lean on Him and lean on people you love. But here's the cool thing. Because you heard the Word of God and you trusted God. And you trusted that He would help you through that. And He did. You... As a resource for hundreds or perhaps a few people that are going through a very similar thing or the very exact thing, you are their person that they can discover in their pain that's been there and done that. And you can come alongside them and say, yeah, I've been through that. And it's amazing how much that changes everything when it comes to your pain. Now, in, in, the, in the job that I have, there's a lot of pain associated with being a pastor. You have people that you come alongside, you bear their burden. And you have moments where you feel overwhelmed. You have, you have pains that have to do with people and the organizational aspects of it, pains that have to do with your own shortcomings and your own regrets. And you look at all of that stuff and you're like, man, it would just be nice to go just golf somewhere for a while and forget about all that. But God said, no, pain is a part of life. And you have to get comfortable with it. 
Matter of fact, one book I read on, on the topic I think was pretty insightful. It was by a fellow by the name of Sam Chand, and he, he looks at it through the lens of a pastor, and he had known his own seasons of pain pretty, pretty intensely. And he, he wrote a book that uh, comes highly recommended called Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth. Now, what's helpful about the book is it's not just Sam writing it, interestingly enough. He just interviews a bunch of pastors and says, tell me about your pain. And then they tell their stories, and you're like, whoa, that's some serious pain that person has gone through. And you think about the significance of what they went through versus perhaps things that you're challenged by, and you realize, wow, they have a pretty high pain threshold. And you know the one big takeaway in the book, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, was this. He said that people in this, in this field that I'm in, the, the, the more successful ones have a higher tolerance for pain. Because it's almost like the higher the tolerance of pain, the farther you can go along in your growth. And I believe it's true. And I look at some of the people around me and I, and I see the pain they've gone through and I've also noticed that there's a settledness about them. There's a gravitas that says that person has been there and they've done that. And it's almost like a peace of mind that you can't get until you've been tried by the fire. But I think that's the whole point of being tried by the fire, isn't it? It purifies us. And it makes us stronger people. And God said, it is your classroom for growth. And it's not to be avoided. Because it will come. But take heart in knowing this. And you know, most pastors I know have a lot of pain. You know, just speaking for my, my field. But I know it's probably similar in the different fields that each of you are in. But I also know this, in our cohort, as much as you see pain, we're overall pretty happy people. Why is that? Because pain doesn't equal misery. You can't choose your pain, but you can choose your misery. You can say, I'm, I'm miserable because all these things are happening to me. And once you jump on the victim train... It just takes you to a dark place where everything is against you at the end of that, that trip. And I think when it comes to pain, you don't have to be miserable. That really is a choice. But I do know this. You're probably very prone to being miserable and, and perhaps even a little powerless about it unless... You are bonded with Jesus. Because he's the source of our strength. He is the only source of our strength. He is the only means by which we can build a foundation. If I could just end it with the clip up there of the, of the building with the foundation. And I think about what that means on many fronts as a parent. I think about all the stuff I've tried to wire into the heart and minds of my kids and I hope that when they go out into their own and they make their own choices and they weather their own storms that the foundation is deep enough. But I also think about you guys and I, 
I, I truly hope that when it comes, and it will, because there are some people who aren't here because the storm came, and they just said, I can't do it. And I want to I tell them, they will come, but you can do it if you are bonded with Jesus and if you're bonded with a group of people that make it a safe place for you to weather the storm. And that's what helps you to have that foundation. And that's what helps you to minister to other people who are going through their own version of the storm. But here's where I want to end it. And that's this. Jesus, when he came and he went through his own painful ordeals, I don't think expected any of us to be crucified or to face what he did in the extreme sense that he did. But I think he knew that if we followed him, if we didn't have a good connection with him and a good foundation, that the pain, when it, will, when it, when it does come, and it will, you won't be able to sustain it. And what makes Jesus so significant in this is that he is the original been there and done that guy. There's nothing that we've gone through that has the weight or magnitude in terms of the significance of pain that a human being can go through like he went through. And I think that's what gives him the credibility to be our safe place, to be our savior, to be the one that is worthy of our attention and our connection. And what we do here is try to present that as well as we can because we know how important it is for you to be able to find that. It's why he came. And how important it is for you to understand that he's not distant, that he's not disconnected, that he's not indifferent to anything you're going through. On the contrary, he fully understands. And that's why he wants to be a part of every storm you face in life. So that you can do so in his strength. And I don't know what they are. And if you have some you want us to pray for. We will do that. Just put on your connect card. And we're happy to pray about it. We need to pray about it. But we also need to know that you are connected with him. And if you aren't. We want to, we want to enable that process to the best of our ability. So I'm going to end this message. I'm going to close it with prayer. And I'm going to ask God to work in your life and your heart. And if he needs to direct your path into that bonding experience with him. Where you are once and for all attached in a way that the love is unconditional. We want to make sure that happens. And then we want to make sure that along the way you stay strong. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you that you have given us the embodiment of everything that was taught in your vast wisdom throughout the recorded revelation of all of your thoughts in, in the scripture. In one man, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in this room through your spirit, that you are working in every heart here. That when we hear your word and we begin to do it, something comes alive in us and we change. And I pray, Father, for those who need to be rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your life and light. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that you're working on, that you would just enable them to see with clarity 
why that's so important and why that is so valued by you to bring us into a relationship so that we may know you personally and forever. So I pray that if it's whether in this room someone would come forward and and just receive that gift or afterwards in the studio or in the hallway, whatever it is, Lord, that you're doing in that heart, I pray that you would enable that process so that the bonding could begin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us through your word and through the things we do in response. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.